All right, Celia. So I wanted to get you on to discuss a whole bunch of things. There's so many things I watched during the holidays that I didn't get a chance to finish discussing. There were recommendations that I had in our year-end wrap-up that we had like kind of no place to discuss them. And I wanted to discuss some of them with you because I think you've watched all these things. And of course, I wanted to mention that the shows we're going to be covering here to kind of introduce this new season of the podcast. First of all, we are covering Your Honor, and we did a preview of that show just earlier this weekend, where we recapped the entire first season, and season two is coming this week. And of course, also coming this week is the highly anticipated, very expensive, next big HBO show, The Last of Us. And there's this is a zombie show, so on paper, this really doesn't seem like something I would be into, but I have very specific reasons why I'm very interested in this particular show, and uh, we'll get into that. And you stopped walk. You stopped watching The Walking Dead. Oh yes, absolutely. I quit The Walking Dead, not even halfway through its run. Because so, just to speak to the I fact that I can't quit The Walking Dead. Well, it's over now. <laughs> you got to quit it, one way or the other. I know. I mean, I haven't seen the last season, but I I have never been able to quit The Walking Dead. Oof. Even when I think I'm over it. I get drawn back in. Just when so. you think you're out, they pull you back in. To <laughs> reference Michael Corleone. Yeah, so we'll introduce the why I'm interested in The Last of Us, and it has a pretty interesting pedigree. A uh, couple of the things I want to mention, maybe right off the top. I know that you just watched The Menu, and maybe as a segue to discuss something else simultaneously, I just saw Megan, the AI comedy horror movie that's playing in theaters that had a huge opening weekend. And uh, the reason I kind of wanted to mention these two films together, first of all, also because the menu is right now hugely popular. It just premiered on HBO Max, and it's like the number one streaming title instantly. So there's a lot of demand to have seen this now that it's available at home. And speaking of just all the horror movies that came out last year, other than these giant blockbusters like Avatar and Top Gun and the Spider-Man film, even the Marvel films have underperformed slightly people are really not running back to theaters. However, horror movies had an incredible year last year. Everybody watched horror movies at home and in theaters. The Menu, if you can even call it a horror movie, it was definitely marketed as a horror movie, is one of these really successful word of mouth horror hits. And just to name a few of them, Barbarian was a huge hit in theaters. And then an even more massive hit once it became like the conversation starter once it came on HBO Max. And The Menu will probably have a similar similar experience. And now we have Megan, which had this massive opening weekend, a PG-13 horror film from Blumhouse, by the way, which also produced another huge hit from last year, The Black Phone, another film that got great reviews and great audience reaction that I was kind of meh on that film in general, to be honest. And I feel the same way with Megan. This is a comedy, definitely, and a horror film. And I feel like it's not as funny as it could be. It's not as scary as it could be. Uh, really just the doll itself, the design of the doll is incredible. And it's the only thing that really makes it stand out. And I'm sure that's why it's been marketed so well. But yeah, the critics have gone crazy for this saying like, it's about the way we are offloading our parental and social responsibilities to AI. This is definitely a theme in the film. But once again, maybe correlating to the menu, which I know you just watched, I feel like there's definitely social commentary here, but it's kind of obvious. They're really not giving me anything that surprised me. And I know you're watching it next week, so maybe we can get a full review, but I did want to just get a mini review here before we get into other topics that I did see, Megan. I did find it entertaining for sure. And it's rated PG-13. So maybe that's why it's a little too, pulls too many punches to be really 
as scary or funny as it could be. But I was just kind of, you know, okay with it. And maybe, maybe we'll get, we'll touch base again next week once you get a chance to see it. And you could explain to me what I might have missed in the hoopla over the film. Deal. Along those lines, by the way, I did want to, however, make some recommendations for films that are related to AI that this film made me think about that are much, much better films. <laughs> so I do want to address this with the audience. First of all, I think. If you haven't seen Ex Machina, it's available to stream again. Once again, definitely check that out. Fantastic. That's not a comedy, by the way. Although, I mean, I guess in some places it's a very, very dark comedy, but in general, definitely not a comedy, a very intelligent exploration of AI. And I have two more recommendations. One I've already made, one I have never made. And maybe, Celia, you've never seen this. I highly recommend this film. It was very emotional to me. And we just got a wonderful email from one of our German listeners Suzanne, if you're listening today, that these are some recommendations that maybe you can pick up as well. Previously, I recommended After Yang, another film about AI. I saw it. It's so beautiful. Incredible. It's just one of the most beautiful films I've seen in years and just so emotional and really intelligently deals with AI. I don't expect, by the way, I don't want anyone to think that I thought Megan was going to deal with the topic of AI as deeply as After Yang. Uh, but these are just recommendations. If you're curious, if any of this sounds interesting, please do track these down. After Yang is available exclusively on Showtime because Showtime funded the movie. So it's exclusively on there. And the last one, this is available to anybody who has Amazon Prime. And I'm pretty sure, Celia, you've never seen this, but another really beautiful, potent, and in some ways terrifying, um, and like a feature length version of a Black Mirror episode and uh, another really beautiful film about AI and uh, our relationship with it in the future. And it's called Marjorie Prime. Have you ever seen this? No, but I'm going to as soon as we get off the podcast. <laughs> Marjorie Prime is about uh, the near future where you can use AI to create a virtual version of one of your loved ones. Like it could be a spouse who's passed away. It could be a parent. And it has an all-star cast, including Gina Davis, who gives an incredible performance. John Hamm from Mad Men gives a great performance as one of these AI avatars. And uh, this is a really beautiful film. And it there's a scene here in this film that just like after Yang, like completely broke my heart. And it is a really beautiful exploration of maybe what's gonna happen when we have to have these kind of intimate relationships with AI and the complexity of it. And it could play, it's almost exclusively like two people in the room across multiple generations, basically, could almost play out like a stage play although it's a little deeper than that because it does use its visuals um, interestingly. But really, it's not like Ex Machina, which is very stylish and really has a thriller element to it. This is really just kind of a very intelligent exploration of the topic. Like I said, like a feature-length version of a Black Mirror episode, for example, it is very moving and beautiful. And when you really think about it deeply, a little disturbing. <laughs> but uh, definitely check that out. It's Marjorie Prime. This is a movie that is available on Amazon Prime and I think has a very good reputation for people who've seen it. The Rotten Tomatoes score is very high, but I feel like nobody has seen this movie. This movie has come and gone and nobody's watched it. So please do check that out. It's an incredible film. I've always liked AI in general. Yes. That Steven Spielberg Oh, yes, AI that's another very good one. Mm -hmm. is so heartbreaking to me. Yes. Like I almost want to cry describing it, which I'm not going to do, but that's my recommendation. Yeah. Anybody who rejected that movie when they first saw it or didn't watch it because of its reputation, that is a film that has been reclaimed over time. At the time, even critics were kind of like, hmm, I don't know if Spielberg was the right one for this material. He developed the material with Kubrick. Maybe Kubrick should have done it. And then Kubrick died, of course. 
So there was a lot of second guessing about the quality of the film. And I have issues with the finale, by the way. I think the ending is problematic, but the rest of the film is really, really strong. But I was always a huge proponent of that film. And I think that in the past 10 years or so, that film is suddenly being considered like a classic. And, and I agree that it really needs to be reconsidered because it's, it's an excellent, excellent film. I thought the ending was actually perfect for this movie. I did feel like, and I think Spielberg has this problem. It was Spielberg, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Where he makes a movie that is probably 20 minutes too long. So there comes a point in his movies, quite a few of them, yeah. that I'm not going to start rattling off. But I always feel like the movie's over and then yeah. it's not over. Yes. And in this case, I felt the same way. I thought the movie was over and it wasn't. Yeah. But what a gut punch the end part of that movie is. It's devastating. I completely agree. Spielberg has had this propensity in the past decade or so, or maybe even longer now, maybe 20 years at this point, where he has almost like a choose your own adventure <laughs> ending where you have three or four different endings you can choose from. Yes. <laughs> It does and feel like that. The two films he made right next to each other are AI and Minority Report. And I can't, I don't want to spoil those films here, but maybe it's something to have a conversation about in the future. There are two alternate endings of that right in the film itself. Like you can almost like turn those films off at different points and they would have incredibly bleak, <laughs> disturbing endings, which are kind of then counteracted by this additional ending, which is probably not the best ending, but I think in both cases, there's a moment in the theater in both of those films where I thought, this is where the film is going to end. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is pretty ballsy <laughs> if, if that was indeed the case. <laughs> yeah. He did it with non-sci-fi like sci-fi films also. Yeah. Some of the films just go on too long, like uh, you know, just the Catch Me If You Can, which he made around the same time, which also feels like you, you've ended that film. And then we see 10 years later, five years later, right? It just keeps going and going. Okay. On the fun side, by the way, speaking of AI, I do want to give you some fun, I think more fun AI films to watch because Megan is more of a comedy, definitely. Oh, the first thing I want to recommend, by the way, is I didn't love Megan. Didn't think it was, I thought the tone is kind of off. And like I said, let's save a deeper analysis of that film for next week when you've watched it. But what I do want to recommend, and this is available for free, I think on Tubi for everybody to watch. This director is an, a director from New Zealand, the guy who directed M- Megan. And his first film was called Housebound. This is a comedy horror movie, which is so funny and so surprising. Another movie that I don't think anybody's watched. It's a very small film. It is so funny. It's about this girl. She's a total loser. Her and her boyfriend try to like knock off an ATM machine and she gets put into house arrest. And she has this completely dysfunctional family and she cannot leave the house. So she's now in this trapped in this house with her mother. She has a terrible relationship with her. Her whole family lives there, her extended family. So there's all these crazy people living in their house with her. And simultaneously, there is definitely something going on, a haunting or something going on in that house. And of course, at that moment, she cannot leave because she's under house arrest. So, you know, instead of those (laughs) terrible excuses, like, why don't they just leave the house? It's like, she literally cannot leave the house. And when she tries to convince her like parole officer that the house is haunted, they think she's making shit up because she is very problematic. She's been arrested multiple times. So this young woman is constantly trapped inside this house, housebound. But this film, you know, beyond that premise, it goes in so many crazy places. By the end, you're like, this movie has become a completely different movie. It's full of surprises. It's hysterically funny and really dark and surprising. And that is kind of what I was hoping Megan would be more of. But anyway, check that out. It's available for free, I think, on Tubi. Uh, And, you know, if you're overseas, I'm sure it's available streaming somewhere. But it's called Housebound. One word, Housebound. It's excellent. 
couple more recommendations for funny AI. This is specifically AI related. Celia, have you ever seen Upgrade? This is a action comedy. It's a movie, not a TV show. Maybe. I don't, I'm not sure. This is also from Blumhouse and it was directed at very low budget, but looks great. It looks like it cost a fortune. Directed by Lee Whannell, who was the writer of the original Saw movie and actually the other guy in the room in the Saw movie. He was actually an actor when he started out. Now he's become more behind the scenes writing and directing. But this film became a critical success, not a blockbuster, but a critical success to the point that he actually was given a much bigger budget to make the Invisible Man movie with um, Elizabeth Moss a couple of years ago, which is also excellent. But this film is a mystery that takes place in the future. This guy gets carjacked. His girlfriend gets murdered. He doesn't know why it happened. He's paralyzed, but he gets an implant, which is an AI, which helps him to get around the house. Now, this AI starts to be able to take over his nervous system. So he becomes like a superhero. And inside his head, he's having this constant conversation with the AI. But it's hilarious. He's this kind of nerd, nerdy guy. He's not like an I action guy. I have seen it. Have you seen this? Yeah. Yes. And uh, this is the actor is who does such an incredible job of like when he loses control of his body, it's, it's hilarious that he can pull this off. Logan Marshall Green, strong performer here. And it's also a murder mystery, right? So he's unraveling the mystery. He's discovering what's happening in his body. But most of all, and I don't want to spoil anything, the twist here at the end is so clever and so good. And once again, pretty bleak, but this is definitely a comedy. Just a warning that it is a gross comedy. <laughs> you know, the body horror here is pretty extreme, uh, but still all in a comedic tone. So probably not too disturbing for people to watch. But if you do are squeamish about violence, I would say more than, it's not like gory, like a horror movie gory. It's more like action gore. But if you're a little squeamish about that, then you may want to avoid this one. But if that doesn't bother you, this is very funny and very smart, a very smart movie. I saw it a while ago when it first came out. And then I just remember thinking, oh, this guy's really hot. And then <laughs> I remember thinking that the movie is way more complex than I was giving it credit for. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's like a fun watch. But yeah, yes. mm -hmm. a little gross. Yes, yes. That, that's what I like so much about it, that I had heard really great things about it. I finally saw it. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, what a blast. This is so much fun. And then when you get to the end, you're like, whoa, like this is actually pretty smart <laughs> as well. And it kind of, it was like right there in plain sight and you kind of, it's kind of one of the tricks it pulls on you. You're not aware basically of what's actually happening while you're watching it. You're distracted by all the fun uh, of the, of the, show, of the film itself. So, and deservedly, Lee Wanell, like I said, has, you know, got his whole career got an upgrade, no pun intended, <laughs> from making this movie. So good for him. <laughs> oh, and one more comedy action gross out movie that I'd recommend, a classic, a classic one. But you know, some of our audience is younger. So if you haven't seen this, or even if you're older, and you haven't seen it in a long time, please do go back and watch the original RoboCop. Speaking of upgrade, do you want to maybe like a template for that film? A classic, a great, great film. Very funny. Lots of uh, social commentary in that one. And uh, so do check that out. If you haven't seen it in a while, or if you never checked it out, very entertaining. Back from 1987, still holds up. Upgrade, the series is actually, it's called Upgrade, right? I think it's Upload. But upload. I've heard, I've heard good things about it, though. I have heard. I, I, that was something I want, was thinking of catching up on last year because they put out a second season. It's funny and interesting. Yeah. It's kind of along the lines of what you're talking about also because, you know, there's people checking on these people in their alternate reality that they picked because they're technically dead. Yes. 
And of course, a blanket blanket recommendation to anybody out there who's never watched Black Mirror. Black Mirror, speaking of things that we were previewing for the year that we're looking forward to, once again, had to cut that episode short and was not able to run down some of the things I'm most looking forward to. But another season of Black Mirror, despite last season being pretty bad, by the way, I'm still very much looking forward to it because in general, the batting average on that show is exceptional. Speaking of shows that are often comedic, and always dark <laughs> and dealing with technology in the future. That is basically the whole premise of that show from episode to episode. A slew of recommendations, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm not done yet because <laughs> I was not able to run down some of the other things I wanted to recommend to you and to the audience in general from last year. So two things I wanted to call out that I couldn't have fit anywhere in the previous conversations. One is available on Hulu. It's called On the Count of Three. Have you heard of this? No. Once again, this is why I haven't recommended it when I tell you the premise of this. It is an exceptional film, but (laughs) this is the premise. Two friends, Gerard Carmichael, which had quite a year this year. I think he's hosting the Academy Awards now, who also directed. It's his first time directing. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. The other main actor here is one of my absolute favorite actors, Christopher Abbott, who was also in The Excellent Possessor recently, but he's made so many great performances. And in a much lighter performance here, a very comedic performance in a very dark comedy, these two friends decide that they have like nothing to live for. And in the opening scene of the film, they decide to count to three and shoot each other. They have a suicide pact. And at the last second, they chicken out and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to have one day to do whatever the hell they want to, get revenge, have fun, do whatever they want to do. But then at the end of the day, they're going to kill themselves anyway. And we go and follow them along for this day. And the film is so heartfelt and so funny and so absolutely bleak. You can imagine what I just described, how, how dark this film actually is. But in the end, it is surprisingly life-affirming, believe it or not. I highly recommend it. I don't want to spoil anything else that happens in the film. There are some twists that I don't want to get into, but it is pretty low-key. I'm sure that many people have been turned off just on, the, on its face, the concept of the film, but it's not as disturbing as it sounds. The performances are great. Christopher Abbott plays like a different type of role than he usually does. He's not brooding at all. He's this total goofball and uh, very funny here. And Henry Winkler, who we love from Barry, gives a very strong performance here as well in, in a surprising type of role. But check that out. It's available on Hulu. If, you know, trigger warnings, of course, <laughs> all over that one. But if, if that doesn't turn you off, it is a very rewarding watch. I am oddly turned on by the description of the show. <laughs> it's a TV. It's a movie, am, movie, by the way. Movie. I, I'm so going to watch this because that didn't turn me off at all. I'm like, really? Like morbid. I feel like sometimes, who is that girl from the Adams Family? Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Yeah. I feel like I would like anything that Wednesday would like. It's not goth in any way. And I think that sometimes <laughs> that is kind of an affectation, like, you know, uh, you know, the kind of goth aesthetic. So I don't want to make it sound like it's like that. It plays almost like a situation comedy, but with this darkness under it, of course, when you consider the premise of these two guys' lives and the issues they're dealing with in their lives personally. I, I really recommend this a lot. And I put the trigger warning on there. Obviously, some people who've had suicide in their lives or struggled with it themselves obviously not something you may want to address, but if it doesn't bother you or you find might find it even therapeutic, I would think to check this out. And it is not as bleak as you would expect from that description. It actually in its own way ends in a surprisingly life-affirming place without pulling any punches, to be honest. So 
Uh, and the last thing I want to recommend, which I wanted to call out, I did in that year-end wrap-up talk about my favorite performer of the year male was Colin Farrell. We got <laughs> digressed on the Colin Farrell conversation, speaking of after Yang, <laughs> which was really what I wanted to give him the award for. I never got around to giving my best actress award. And for me, it was basically a tie. We have Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, who basically gets to play seven different versions of Michelle Yeoh by definition, the premise of the film. And she plays incredibly all these different roles. If you've heard her talk about the role, she actually like has this very famous video that's gone around where when she read the script, she felt like she was seen for the first time because she wasn't just an action woman. She could do all these different parts. And uh, she gets to play all these incredible roles. So she definitely is probably going to win the Academy Award, to be honest with you. And she deserves it. But that's not who I wanted to mention here. The person I wanted to mention that I think is not going to get any award recognition here at the end of the year is Maya Goth. Speaking of goth girls, <laughs> because she played two roles in the movie X and she was very good playing those two roles, but that's not what knocked my socks off. I wasn't even a huge fan of the movie X. She did the movie Pearl. Have you ever caught up with Pearl yet, Celia? No, I have so much to watch when we get off this podcast. <laughs> These recommendations are just for you, by the way. So <laughs> There's so many. So for anybody who's not aware, there was this low budget horror movie that came out. They made it for like a million dollars. Speaking of successful films, it came out in theaters, made about 10 or $15 million, uh, maybe more. And then more importantly, it came out for home video during you know this shortened, abbreviated theatrical runs post-pandemic and was a huge hit on home video. Uh, and simultaneously, I guess the producers of the first film were so impressed with what they were seeing, they gave the filmmakers an extra $1 million to make another film. So simultaneously, they shot a prequel called Pearl, which is about the one of the characters in the X movie, The Older Woman, and it's set in the 1920s. And it also stars Mia Goth playing this character as a young woman. And she deserves an Academy Award nomination because this performance is incredible. Like I mentioned, I wasn't even a huge fan of X, but Pearl is a completely different movie, nothing at all, like X in tone or in style. Mia Goth gives this incredible performance. And there is a scene at the end of the film. It's basically her talking directly into the camera for like 15 minutes, uncut, uninterrupted. And she changes into three or four different people over the course of this moment this this end of the film and it is absolutely extraordinary like she's somebody who i've never really paid attention to in films to be honest with you i've seen her in a few things but never knocked my socks off she seemed to be fine as a performer but i've never seen her have to do anything this complicated and she is incredible like absolutely incredible and i think that she deserves um some kind of award for both of these performances, you know, basically three different performances and three completely different characters, three completely different characters in those three different roles between those two movies. So that's one more. And that is Pearl and the actresses Mia Goth. And also she's an ex, by the way, which, which is, I think, available on Showtime. So that one's an easy one to see. I think Pearl is premiering on Showtime within a week or two. So definitely check it out when it shows up on Showtime very soon. And for best horror movie, that movie you said did not have an audience, but I <laughs> yes. saw that and was like blown away. We never actually talked about that because the movie is so yes. disturbing that we didn't even think people would want to really see this. Not <laughs> yes. everyone anyway. It was just odd. We discussed like, who is the audience for this? Yes. I loved that movie. I think that if you're not looking for something, <laughs> this that is not is mainstream, not at all. 
So the movie that Celia's talking about is a movie that I asked her to watch just so I had someone to talk, have a conversation with, and I never recommend it on the podcast. However, Paul, if you're listening, Paul from Scotland sent us an email, and we'll have to read some of Paul's email, and maybe uh, Suzanne's email too. Maybe we'll have a separate episode later this week or next week where we read through those emails and use that as an excuse to talk about some of these things. Because Paul's very top movie of the year was an excellent film, a truly excellent film, which I have not discussed here on the podcast. Because like Celia mentioned, I don't know who I'd recommend this movie to. It's called Speak No Evil. And it is, I mean, what I would recommend anyone out there, check this film out. Don't read up on it. Don't get any spoilers. But only for a select audience. What I would say is, if you like home invasion movies, this is not a home invasion movie, by the way, not. But if you like home invasion movies and you like that kind of dynamic of you know, letting someone into your house and the, how these kind of social niceties could end up destroying your family, basically, and it's an incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable watch. It is one of the easily one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen in my life. Not grisly, by the way. I'm not saying it's disturbing because how gross it is. It's because of how uncomfortable it makes you feel. And it's about this family that meets another family when they're on vacationing. They get invited to this family's house. And then right away, this family starts to antagonize them with these microaggressions, making them feel like they're the ones who are overreading into things. And this constant gaslighting of this other family, it's just two hours of that. And it makes you feel so uncomfortable. And it ends up in such a dark, dark place. So if that doesn't completely turn you off. <laughs> when you said, watch this movie, and I like dark movies, and I just want everyone to know I loved this movie, but it was what Victor just described. I texted you. I'm like, oh my God, Like, you know, how do we review this? And who would watch this? Who will watch this? Exactly. Who would watch this? But like us right <laughs> i mean obviously people would but like who's the audience yeah. for this yeah so going back to you know paul putting this on top of his list and by the way the rest of his list is not like he's just looking for edgy material he uh put a lot of things on his list like everything everywhere all at once and after yang and all the same shows that we recommended so and we'll break down we'll get into his email at some future point but not to say that you know everything he has is just edgy stuff this is absolutely one of the best films of the year, no doubt about it. But I don't know who I'd recommend it to for the fact that unless you want to really feel terrible <laughs> after watching a movie, <laughs> it's really not the kind of thing you recommend for a pleasant uh, afternoon watch. And by the way, not even just a generic you know, uh, horror movie, which has its own type of thrills. This is not the type of film that gives you thrills as you watch it. It is a film that intentionally, aggressively makes you feel uncomfortable. So you could show it to people to be like, don't talk to strangers. <laughs> yes, you could read it. Like a, I mean, that's a social warning. That's the reason that I wanted you to watch it so that theoretically we could have had a conversation here about it. I think there are some really interesting political and social reads on the film that you can, like you said, you can make a completely reactionary read of it that says, don't talk to strangers, don't let anyone in your house. <laughs> you know, like it could be like that, you know, um, reactionary potentially. But uh, I don't think that's the point of the film. But, you know, I, I, we'd have to spoil it to get into some of that deeper read. Anyway, anyone who heard this and this is intriguing to you, I'd say if you like transgressive films, if you watch like David Cronenberg films, for example, and you like to be uh, or maybe Brandon Cronenberg, <laughs> even more so like uh, Possessor, if you like a film that intentionally is trying to push your buttons and you like that, you find that to be intellectually or emotionally stimulating, then definitely check this film out. It's called Speak No Evil. It's actually a Danish film, but it's mostly in English because these two 
families are from two different countries, so they speak to each other in English. So interestingly, maybe there's something being said there as well. But once again, we'd have to spoil some of the film to get into some of those topics. But yeah, so it's actually, you know, like I said, subtitled in moments, but barely. And mostly it's in English. Available definitely on Shutter, definitely available to rent. I think it was a 99 cent rental at one point on Apple. So it's pretty easy to get your hands on if you're curious to see it. But buyer beware <laughs> is my, my, what I say. Yes. Very disturbing. So that was half an hour of recommendations. I did not expect that to go as long as it did. <laughs> okay. So to kick things off for this particular season, just a reminder once again that we are going to be covering The Last of Us week to week, as well as Your Honor with Brian Cranston on Showtime. We'll be covering that week to week as well. And simultaneously, by the way, I've started to rewatch Breaking Bad as part of that coverage themed around Brian Cranston, I guess. I loved rewatching season one, a show that I didn't, a season of the show that I didn't remember that fondly, and I really enjoyed it. So I hope that the rest of it is as um, entertaining and interesting as I found for that first season. So if you do want to rewatch Breaking Bad with me, then check out coverage there as well. I'll put timestamps in all those episodes if you're not watching Your Honor and you want to just jump to the Breaking Bad content. So check out that episode. I dropped the first one just this weekend. I want to say, though, Breaking Bad, which yeah. I've seen three times, actually, mm-hmm. might be four, even episodes that are not as thrilling as the one before, they're all very important episodes. I thought that some of the episode one, uh, season one episodes weren't all that important, uh, to be honest. But even the ones that I didn't think were great, there's episode three, which is not a very dense episode with thematics, although some important things happen there as well. You're right. There's always at least one important thing that happens in each one of those episodes. They're very well plotted. But that third episode had an absolutely hysterical, like the whole middle is like a 10 minute protracted sequence where one person after another misunderstands what's going on. And it's all just comedy and uh, it's brilliant comedy. (laughs) So it's like, even then when the episode's not like essential viewing, it's still incredibly well-written and hilariously funny oftentimes. So it's, yeah, been very rewarding for me so far. Absolutely. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. All right, so we're previewing The Last of Us and expect to see these episodes weekly. I, in general, am kind of tired with the whole zombie genre. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you really like The Walking Dead. I burned it out a long time ago, uh, after season two, probably. <laughs> Although I kept watching it, I think, through season three. Now, in a lot of ways, The Last of Us seems like just another zombie show. But here's the reasons that I'm interested in it. First of all, it's coming from HBO. HBO has a pretty good batting average. They do not make these kind of cheesy programmers and go like, well, maybe it'll work out. Maybe we'll give it another season. They go and they invest in shows heavily. They spend a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money on this show. They commit to them and they, I mean, right now at HBO, there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on across all streamers, by the way. Maybe that's something we could have a side conversation about all these shows that have been canceled recently by all these different streamers because they're all losing money. They're bleeding cash like crazy. A reminder that we're in the heyday of streaming right now. This content, (laughs) this, uh, overwhelming amount of content will probably be drying up very soon. 
But until recently, HBO has been very committed to making really quality stuff. So they've invested in The Last of Us. Second of all is that they're, this is based on a video game. I do not know spoilers for this video game. I've intentionally not ever spoiled myself on it, hoping that there would someday be an adaptation of the game. This game is exceptionally well-regarded. The story of the first game, specifically the ending, apparently, was such a shocker. It was something that people talked about for years and years and years in the gaming community. So it's been one of these properties that everybody wanted to make. And what's interesting about that as well is that then they made the second film, and uh, I'm sorry, the second video game. And the second video game was incredibly divisive. Half the audience thought it had a brilliant twist on the plot. Half the audience completely rejected the direction of the story. And what's interesting to me is just to you know, be part of that conversation, why people rejected it, where am I going to land on that? And the fact that they're not going to only adapt the first season and then skip the second story. They've committed to doing two seasons of the show, only two seasons. It's not going to be a long running show. And they're going to adapt the second story also. So plus or minus, they're going to give us that trajectory of the story, see where I land on whether I'm one of the people who thought it was a good decision or was a bad decision, whatever direction the story takes. And last of all, it's the people who are adopting the show. This is the follow-up to the writer and directing staff that made Chernobyl, which is one of the absolutely most incredible television achievements of the past 10 years, probably. And it's like an ongoing horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Yes. The entire thing is horrifying. The way it escalates, the fact that this actually occurred mm -hmm. and things come out of this disaster that you don't even imagine beforehand, even the people in the scenes where they're being told what the outcome will be for this disaster and then the other disasters that keep kind of occurring throughout, it's like there's no hope. The end of the world is imminent. It's an absolutely incredible. And maybe we'll just, this will be our first stop in the conversation to talk about Chernobyl. For anyone who hasn't seen it, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, although history spoils it, I guess, <laughs> but it is an ex it's an extraordinary achievement, exactly for everything that Celia said, that it tells you so many things about human nature and about the limitations of bureaucracies. And I'm going to talk about COVID in a minute because I want to touch on that as well, considering when I was watching this. Even though like I've read articles about Chernobyl, I never saw it play out in this kind of granular approach. And you realize that it was one cascading disaster after another, after another. And it's literally saying like, if we don't stop this radiation from spreading, we're going to kill hundreds of thousands of people. So then they contain it. And they're like, now we've poured like concrete on it. But now if this explodes and gets to the water supply, it will poison the land, the, the, the river that feeds basically 44 million people. And then there's like, if this steam cloud erupts, it could kill 100 million people. So each time they fix a problem, there's like a cascading, cascading catastrophe that is worse and worse and worse. Meanwhile, all these people who are going in and risking their lives to try to fix this, you literally start seeing them like liquefying in these hospitals. It is terrible. And then you also follow many, many characters, like a sprawling story through years of them going to court and all these other things that happened to them. And, you know, you see their biographies and they're like, three years later, they died of your radiation po poisoning. Five years later, they died of cancer. Seven years later, like, they, they all end up dying of cancer or poisoning or something. In a way, it's kind of a heroic thing. These men go and uh, mostly men, but women also go and uh, some of these nurses, et cetera, risk their lives and die to save potentially tens of millions of people from this full-blown catastrophe. And meanwhile, their own bureaucracy is constantly thwarting them. It's not only incredible to see this historical document of this, but this was 
shot and produced before the pandemic happened. But I watched it. I binged it just as the pandemic was starting to, we started hearing word about the pandemic. And then you heard these stories in China that they knew locally that this pandemic was spreading, but no one wanted to tell the bureaucrats up in Beijing that they didn't have this thing under control. So they kept lying that it was not as bad as it was. And you see exactly that happening in Chernobyl and it keeps escalating worse and worse. And then of course, the irony of all this, by the way, for anybody who's catching up on it now, we see the Ukraine war where we have Putin getting bad intelligence about what's happening on to his ground forces. And he's just throwing hundreds of thousands of soldiers into this mill. They're dying. The Ukrainians are dying. They don't want to hear bad news. So they don't even know what's happening there. And it's just so crazy that here it is in Russia itself, decades later, they still have learned nothing. It's, 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 and you know, history just repeats itself. It's terrifying, but true. No, well, I was watching it historically and as entertainment because mm-hmm. it does feel like a horror movie. If anyone yes. out there is interested in looking at it that way, it also comes off like a really good documentary. Like if you were to be following people around with cameras. So I find it interesting that depending on what you're looking for or who you are as a person or what your sense of entertainment is, that you can watch it in different forms. I watched it as a horror movie, but you could watch it as a documentary also. Or you can watch it as a really, really, really good drama. The only other thing I would say is absolutely, it functions purely as a horror movie, even if you thought this, even if you read this as fictional, it's terrifying that it actually happened. But I was reluctant to watch this because I'd heard how wrought it is. And I loved it in the end. And I would say to all of you out there who have been hesitant to check it out, I'll just let you know that I've had multiple people say, well, yeah, I've heard about that, but I don't know if I can watch it. I don't know if, and everybody I know who eventually caught up with it was like, that was incredible. It's like, yes, I know. So I know it's hard. This is kind of like a Station Eleven situation again. Everybody I know who's like, I don't know if I can watch that. And then when they watch it, they love it. So suck it up (laughs) and just get through it. It's only like six episodes long. You can binge it pretty quickly. And it is extraordinary, like truly extraordinary. And I hope that they bring the same level of detail and character and just storytelling to The Last of Us, which is the main reason I'm so interested in that that show now. I wonder if the style will be the same. From the trailer, it looks like it uh, looks similar. Oh, by the way, Celia, I've just seen a teaser for it. I still don't want to watch a full trailer of it, even though I kind of know what the gist of the story is. But I noticed in the teaser that Melanie Linsky is in this and by the way, Yellow Jackets is coming back in March. So we get to see Melanie Linsky in The Last of Us. And then we get to see her again in Yellow Jackets when that comes back in March. I'm obsessed with Yellow Jackets. Obsessed. I didn't see it for a long time because I just didn't have showtime. Yeah. And I binge watched it. I have too many platforms if everybody's wondering why. Like I always talk about my platforms. I think everybody's listening to us probably has a lot of platforms as well. I don't want to spend so much money on platforms, to be honest with you. So I will sometimes cancel some of them if there's not a promo or whatever. And then if there is a promo, I jump on the promo. So I jumped on the Showtime promo because you recommended it in one of the podcasts. I got excited. It worked. And I binge watched Yellow Jackets. It is really entertaining. Yeah. Right here in New Jersey, too. We can recognize all those locations here in Jersey. I know. I was like, I know where that is. I know where they're driving. That was fun. It was like when I would watch The Sopranos. I'm like, I've been there. Yep. Yeah. So that's coming in March, by the way. 
All right. So one more thing, maybe two more things we can talk about here, although we're probably running out of time. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> one thing admittedly we can talk about is I had recommended to you, I, I had collected in my mind, maybe some shows or films that could be thematically good appetizers before the main course of The Last of Us. And the one I recommended to you that you had not seen was The Girl with All the Gifts. And that was available. Where did you watch that? Was it on Tubi? Is that where you saw it? It was Tubi. It's watch free. Yeah, it's free. Right. So if you want to watch The Girl with All the Gifts, it's available on Tubi. And this is from 2018, 2016, sorry. So this is from 2016. It features Glenn Close in one of the lead roles. Also, we have Patty Constantine, Viserys from uh, House of the Dragon, Gemma Arterton, who is a famous British actress. These are mostly British actors except for Glenn Close. And this young actress, Senya Manua, who plays this young girl, who's the girl with all the gifts here, the titular character. And basically the story here is another zombie movie. We are introduced to these characters and they live inside of a military compound. The world has basically been infected with this um, zombie outbreak. It's late in the stages of the zombie outbreak. And we find out that there are this younger breed of zombie kids. Gemma Arterton is their teacher of these young cast. And uh, there are also these military folks there as well, and scientists. It was some kind of spores that got into the air that infected people. Those people became these mindless zombies, the traditional mindless zombies you would expect. However, if anybody who was pregnant at the time, they had children and these children are being studied. Why are these children different? And they're trying to figure that out. And is there somehow that these children who were birthed from these infected mothers, is there some kind of serum or some kind of cure that they can provide to the infected? Or of course, is there some kind of prophylactic solution keeping humans from turning into these potential zombies? So that's what they're trying to discover. And things go terribly wrong, as you would expect. <laughs> and they end up on the lam. So you have these kind of ragtag scientists and military people and this teacher and this young girl all on the lam. And they start going across country and seeing what's happened to society in this, during this outbreak. Once again, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot of similar things happening with Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones, who are the leads of The Last of Us. So parallels here between The Last of Us and this show. In this film, I should say. So, Celia, you just caught up on this. Why don't we give a quick non-spoiler review from your, of your thoughts, and then we'll get into spoilers, because I think there's a lot of stuff to discuss in spoilers. If you like dystopian movies and dramas, this is extremely dystopian. The entire thing, from the beginning to the end, there's no reprieve in the middle, so the style is consistent. If you like that, I don't love that, but because mm. it worked so well in this movie, I thought it was, you know, extremely well done. It, it kind of like sucked me in. I also liked the protagonist. She was yeah. very mm -hmm. likable, interesting, very well written. Yeah. And everyone that ended up being the ragtag group is someone that you felt invested in. So the movie was really good. And then the end got me great ending. I don't know if everybody's going to agree to that. But it was worth it just to see the end because it was so thought provoking that when I finished watching the movie, I could have talked about it for an hour. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that the ending of the film is really what makes it, what kind of breaks the mold because the rest is, it's a little bit different, you know, like seeing these kind of group of folks out and about, uh, it's a little different than you expect to see. 
Although I guess not that different from like 28 days later or something like that. Although the mix of people that you're seeing out there are a little bit different. But other than that, it's not too surprising until you get to that ending, like you said, which raises so many questions, pretty fascinating. It's based on a, a book, actually, a young adult novel that was very popular back in, I guess it was around early 2010s. And that's where they got this from. And and I agree with everything you you said, uh, even in the fact that as I was watching this, I'd heard really good things about it. And uh, it's very good. If you like zombie films, which I'm not the biggest fan of zombie films, but as I was watching it, I'm like, okay, this is good. It's um, good for this type of film. It's better than the, the usual. But then it uh, became very interesting when you get to the end. And what I would say is obviously anyone who's going to watch The Last of Us, you must not mind <laughs> watching zombie films and shows. And this is definitely one of the best uh, in the past 10 years, maybe one of the best ever, to be honest with you. So uh, if that sounds intriguing to you, I definitely recommend you check it out. And hey, it's free. It's on Tubi. Well, check it out. <laughs> you know what? I, I like zombie movies that have a lot of humans in it and not just mindless zombies like. Arr. So yeah. when I watch, for example, The Walking Dead, which I've been watching for years, you become invested in the characters and they take you out of the zombie experience and you're able to see them in their homes or see them in the camps that they set up or see their backstories and that'll take you somewhere else. This movie, you're in this society the whole time. It felt like a very, very long episode that would be in like The Walking Dead. I can see this being like a, an award-winning episode of The Walking Dead without any break, this one mood the whole time. But that's successful, right? When somebody can pull that off, if you like this kind of movie, you will love this. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you like, especially the later seasons of The Walking Dead, I think this would be right up your alley uh, and better than that, to be honest, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, before we get into spoilers, I did recommend this to you, Celia. And once again, I just can't stop making recommendations this week. So everybody take, <laughs> take out your notepads and write these down again. And if you ever come back to this, maybe maybe we'll get extra plays if people have to come back and write them all down. But I have one more recommendation. Maybe I'll just put all these in the show notes so you people can track them down. This is available for free in the US on Amazon Prime. I'm going to have to start putting caveats in the US because we have overseas listeners as well. You might have to dig around for those. A movie called The Night Eats the World. And speaking, it just came to mind the way you were describing what you like about horror films, I mean, about zombie films. This film is about this guy who's broken up with his girlfriend. He shows up at a party she's having and he's there to take care of some business. He has to pick something up or something happens. This is the opening scene of the film. And uh, it's uncomfortable. Why is he there? The friends are kind of awkwardly seeing him. He gets drunk. He collapses in the coat room, like the room where everybody keeps their coats. And he wakes up the next morning. And what's happened is overnight, while he's been sleeping, there's been a zombie outbreak that has infected the whole world, or at least this part of Paris, potentially only this part of Paris, but he doesn't know yet. And he basically is a survivor because he's been locked in this room, passed out. He needs to get out of that room because there are zombies in the house. He needs to get out of that building. Or actually, he doesn't get out of the building. He starts to hole up in the building and he has to move from room to room, from apartment to apartment, collecting canned food, et cetera. And then we flash forward pretty quickly 
to maybe a year, maybe more in the future, he has built this entire solitary life inside of this apartment building. And it's incredible. This beautiful photography in the middle of Paris, you see nobody in the streets except for random zombies rolling around. Sometimes if he makes noise intentionally, they all start to like um, come up uh, to the building and like kind of fill the streets. It's fascinating. It's a completely realistic view of what would happen to a single person isolated in this situation. And it has some surprises in it as well. Uh, it's in French. It's in English also, but mostly in French when there's very, very little dialogue in this film, by the way. But like I said, hey, you don't have to read subtitles. There's hardly any speaking in this film at all. <laughs> but uh, it is a really interesting uh, version of a zombie film. And uh, I, I, I think it's one of the better zombie films of the past few years. So check that out. It's called The Night Eats the World. And that's available on Amazon Prime as well. So one last recommendation. And then we can get into spoilers for- and Is it go. really the last one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knows? Maybe during this conversation, I'll have more, maybe. But let's get into spoilers for um, The Girl with All the Gifts. You can start if you want to. I like that they started it off in the classroom because it gives you an immediate picture of what's going on in her world and in her head, because she is the main character here, even when all the other characters get introduced. And then at the very end, you realize that she should have been a main character. So good job there. Um, I do like how they portray her as different because these other kids, and we can't get, are we doing spoilers now? Yeah, you said? this is all spoilers, yeah. Okay, so these kids, and everyone keeps referring to them as abortions, have survived this zombie apocalypse, I guess, by eating their way out of their mothers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So the mother's bodies are zombified and dead, but these children have eaten their way out of their mother's womb. And now yes. they're these, yeah, they have the same inklings, I would say, as the other zombies. As but they in, don't they know, like, right? They, they don't know until that first- uh... They kind of know. They lock themselves in these chairs with these straps and these headgear and- they put muzzles on them. I mean, they know they want to eat human beings, but they also are thinking people yes. who can learn things and who look like regular kids. But there's an episode in a classroom where the teacher is comforting one of the children and she touches them and the military comes in and demands to know what she thinks she's doing. And she's like, they're children. And the guy to show her that they really aren't just children antagonizes them in a way that they start really creepily, like chomping at the bit, struggling against their their straps on their wheelchairs that they have to wheel Sitting. them out in. Yeah. Like the military is wheeling these kids out, strapped to things in order for them to leave these thick jail cells where they've grown them and examined them. And the doctor, the head doctor, she does stuff to them that they don't really clarify. I know she's taking their blood and whatever, but she's also dissecting them to yeah. analyze them. So that makes me think she has killed off a few of them for medicine's sake. It's really morbid. Oh yeah. They definitely killed off. I mean, there's one that they have like a lottery basically right early on and they um, kill one of them off like in the, during the, the, the uh, procedure, the, the, the vivisection they do. I mean, it's so morbid, but the concept is pretty good for a, 
zombie movie because usually not every time but there's you know these zombies and they're just walking around and they're killing people and that happens here too but these zombies are like extra creepy first of all they are extremely extremely fast yeah i mean they're infected people right they're not traditional zombies where they are just mm-hmm. limping about with like missing limbs. Yeah, they're like, I mean, I would assume, uh, you know, that we don't actually know this for a fact, but I would assume that they are similar to the zombies in 28 Days Later, where those zombies die off, right? Literally in that movie, it's like, if you can hold up safely for a period of time without getting infected, those zombies are going to die because they're just people. And those people, if they run out of food, they're just going to die. We literally see them dying at the end of, you know, 28 days later, there's a shot where you see like one that's near their compound and it's completely emaciated and just collapses to the ground when the military comes and rescues them at the end of that film. Spoilers (laughs) for a 25 year old movie. (laughs) But um, it's a similar thing where I think these are just people who basically the virus is making them attack other people to spread the virus itself but they are not like superhuman. Like you shoot them in the head or you dissect them, they die. They don't like, you know, uh, the, the traditional George Romero zombies, you literally we see in Day of the Dead where someone gets vivisected and they climb off the table and like their intestines pour out onto the ground and they still just walk, walking down the hallway, right? So I don't think that's the kind of zombies we're seeing here. She comes off as semi-vampire too. When she's outside and she's free and she's protecting the teacher, she is jumping on these people to eat their flesh like, like a vampire would in vampire movies I've seen, like um, Let the Right One In, which by the way is really awesome, but we don't want to start going into recommendations <laughs> for vampire movies for an hour and a half. She also does that, which is very vampire-like. So these new creatures that have survived their mother's womb are coming off as vampire zombie kids, if yeah. you can imagine that. Yeah, if I mean, I'd say the closest thing you can get to this version of the zombies, if anybody's curious, is the original Richard Matheson "I Am Legend" story. In that original story, and the movie adaptation is not very good, the Will Smith one, but it's been adapted so many times. There are better and worse versions of that story, but in the original version, it's basically the idea that these vampires—in that case, they are literally vampires—are going and feeding off of humans, and little by little, they are uh, taking over the world. Right? They're infecting people. And he is going out. He's the last remaining human he knows of. And he's going out and staking these vampires every single day. And then over the course of, and once again, we're in spoilers here, by the way, because this is going to spoil this film as well. At the end of that film, he realizes when he like breaks into their main nest, he's going to kill them all off in one shot, that they have a culture, right? That these have children, they have parents, they care about each other. And that in their mind, he, it's called I Am Legend because he is their monster. He's the monster comes and murders them in the night. And he realizes, he sacrifices himself at the end because he realizes that, wait a second, the world has evolved and I'm behind and I'm the only version of the old human. So I'm the problem. And he has to embrace that. And I think that is kind of what we're seeing in this film as well, is this idea that is like a cultural evolution. This is like a new version of people. And you have the Glenn Closes of the world that are trying to hang on to the way the world used to be. And basically we're seeing the birth of these new people. And uh, the teacher, Gemma Atterton's uh, character, has seen that she re- realizes the humanity in them. <laughs> she ends up being the, the you know the last remaining human who's now educating them at the end of the film. That is kind of the interesting twist at the end is to see this as where like the zombies aren't necessarily the bad guys here at the end. It's just that this is the new culture. They just have to learn to to live in this new world. It is really interesting because when our protagonist finds a bunch of these kids that haven't been in prison, 
They made their own tribe, basically, to survive. They have no language that is yeah, exactly. words. Right. They are communicating like cavemen would. But, so but they can learn, now, right? They've been treated yes. like animals, but they can learn, right? So. Yes. And she's going to teach them right. how exactly. to, I guess, be more cultured. It's like watching a Greek tragedy or something. You know, and, that, and I think that's a differentiator there is this idea of almost uh, the way we treat it's a metaphor for the way we treat the younger generation, right? All the older people sit there and go like, you with your music, my music's great, your music's crap. You know, you're, you kids don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, we're, and it's basically saying like, get out of the way, grandpa. <laughs> There's a new culture coming. That's like the same metaphor that plays out in, like I said, in I Am Legend, and it plays out here as well. So it's an interesting spin on that. Uh, so I hope I didn't spoil it for you. I hope you guys actually did watch the movie. Check it out. I did suddenly think of another thing I could recommend, which was Little I Monsters. I knew it. <laughs> little I Monsters. I love Little Monsters. I knew it. <laughs> You're the one who introduced me to Little Monsters, by the way, and it's really, really good. It was really good. And that, that's a, a little cheerier than oh, like yes. the other things oh. that you're recommending. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a comedy straight up. <laughs> I mean, when you think about how cute and sweet it is, as a, almost like as a romantic comedy, <laughs> and how bleak what's happening outside of that circle is a... That's maybe a metaphor in it of itself. <laughs> Not sure what it's a metaphor for, but it's uh, it's very entertaining. All right, I wanted to talk about the menu here, but God, I don't think we can talk about the menu at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we'll save that for a different time. You have a greater purpose than any of us could have ever imagined. Be careful who you put your faith in. Her father. She was someone's. You trust me. 